Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of SEPAD Pod, the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Maybon, and today I'm joined by Mohammed Hafida. Mohammed is reader at the Leeds School of Architecture, Leeds Beckett. He's an artist. He's a scholar, he's an activist, he's the co-founder of Febric, which is a collaborative for participatory art and design research, working on issues of refugee and spatial rights. He's written an absolutely fantastic book called Negotiating Conflict in Lebanon. It's, it's one of the most stimulating books on the topic that I've read in a long time, and I urge everyone to, to get hold of a copy. And I'm really delighted to say that Mohammed is joining us today. Mohammed, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you, Simon, for inviting me, and thank you for the uh, introduction. My pleasure. Really happy to be with you. Likewise. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, Mohammed. I, I've spent a lot of time preparing for this podcast, and as I was saying before, it's, it's really provoked a lot of thought about how we can approach the topics that we've been discussing on this podcast and in SEPAD broadly from, from different angles, from different ways, from the the traditional or indeed untraditional um, approaches that we've been exploring about uh, sectarianism. So, so your book was was wonderful, and, and the other work that you've been doing really really pushes things intellectually and, and has this, this fantastic impact on the ground. So, we can get into that in a in a little bit, and and I'm sure people are eager to hear more about it. But can we start just by by you telling us a little bit about but what prompted your interest in in architecture, in space, and and I guess the academy? Uh, it's been a long process because you want me to start. Uh, you know, I I I was trained as an interior architect okay. it was at a time in the nineties in Beirut where I had always interest in. Um, and kind of creativity uh, and kind of different art forms, uh, not necessarily space, but then space or the study of space um, was slightly um, uh, more practical in a way, uh, as a kind of a closer to uh, a kind of creative field, but at the same time something that you can find perhaps um, employment. Um, and as soon as I started studying um, uh, interior architecture at the Lebanese University and design, um, I became kind of more um, um, exploring kind of a particular uh, issues and processes within art and design that is more closer to, um, uh, to what I would like to, to be doing. So I started kind of uh, uh, on the side initiating what I used to call back then public art projects like interventions and uh, using art as intervention in hospital space in uh, rehabilitation kindergarten in Beirut okay uh, so it's been really a, a gradual kind of a process of um, uh, in, uh, kind of engagement um, uh, around issues of space um, of uh, spatial practices of kind of uh, inhabitation how people use space uh, through a kind of a variety of uh, art and design related processes and media uh, that not necessarily belong to uh, one discipline or this is what I discovered uh, perhaps after my BA when I started thinking of doing an MA. So how, how can I shift uh, 
not my interests, but kind of um, uh, my studies to reflect more the way I operate as an interdisciplinary uh, person. And again, I think at the end of my BA in Lebanon, I wasn't aware of the term interdisciplinary, something I came across in my um, MA. So I did an MA in London. I came to London. Right. Uh, did an MA um, uh, at Chelsea College of Art in a beautiful course that is no, long, no longer available uh, called Design for the Environment. And it was about uh, public art um, and um, uh, kind of a spatial design, really interdisciplinary course, bringing people from many disciplines, fashion, design, graphic, um, textile, archite architects, all working around topics related to space and using different types of um, processes and um, uh, medium for intervention. Um, so kind of, yeah, the, the, the issue of inter... Uh, uh, the topic of interdisciplinary became very much... Um, uh, part of my thinking um, that um, hasn't been really, you know, hasn't been straightforward. Now I'm reflecting back on it, but back then, because it doesn't fit within a clear uh, profession. Sure, um, yeah. And later on, I started really initiating uh, my own projects that try to kind of define and shape uh, this uh, process of working. Uh, that is, again, outside, I'm maybe focusing a lot on this, outside traditional form of employment, like whether interior or archi what architecture uh, offices could offer. And this is where uh, myself and my um, uh, friend and colleague, Reem Sharif, initiated, for example, uh, Fabric, uh, which is a collaborative between us. In 2000, we started, I think, 2003. Right. Uh, we were still each of us doing their own things. Like I used to uh, work in um, design offices, but on the side we initiated this uh, platform to produce type of work that uh, you know reflect our um, thinking and way of practicing uh, architecture, design, and art. Kind of bringing that interest in public space, issues of politics, issues of representation of space, yeah. uh, uh, and how we can activate the role of, uh, of people in, in public life, and, you know, I'm talking about their rights in space, issues of spatial rights, um, through creative processes using art, architecture, and other forms of, you know, film, yeah. photography, all of that. Mohammed, can I ask you? You've mentioned intervention, and I want to get into to space in a little bit, and and Beirut in particular. But you mentioned uh, interventions a number of times there. What what is it that you're getting at with interventions? Be it in the in the hospital or the kindergarten, or or indeed on the street. What what do you understand by an intervention, and what are you aspiring to by creating either space for interventions or the interventions themselves? Yeah, I think perhaps this is what we borrow from the field of architecture and design, the idea perhaps of um, propositional thinking, that through intervention you propose a change uh, to a place, to a okay. certain structure. Um, and um, this how, and kind of this very much um, actually affected the way I operate. And this has to do with that background of design training. Uh, whether it's interior architecture or architecture. Um, 
is something we explored further, particularly in my work with Fabric and Dream. We talk a lot about propositional thinking in the places we um, uh, operate and with the participants we work with. So yeah. how we can propose a, a change in the immediate um, uh, social and spatial fabric or the immediate uh, environment um, working sure. with people. Uh, so kind of this idea of, of change, even if it's a kind of um, a small-scale change, particularly when we talk in public spaces, as you mentioned. Later on in my life, more recently, I started exploring different forms of intervention that is uh, taking place in the gallery space um, and kind of also reflecting on the role of these different forms of inter intervention in relation to... Uh, you know, production of uh, a change or uh, in terms of something practical in the side that sometimes could be useful to the people we're working with or more reflective, similar to kind of art interventions or in between. And more yet, yeah, the intervention in the gallery space was kind of uh, more about representations, more about pushing ideas uh, in relation to to, to art, uh, critical thinking, that are not necessarily, you know, it has a kind of a, a, a different nature. Yeah. So I'm really, at the moment, um, exploring, or throughout my career, I have explored these different types of um, interventions, site-specific, uh, in public spaces, and, you know, media representations, and, uh, gallery installations. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that there's a, there's a normative agenda to what's going on then. Say it again, normative? Yeah, there's a normative agenda that you're wanting to, to, to make these interventions in a way that is, is positive. You're wanting to improve the lives and experiences of people. Um, yeah, yes, particularly at my um, uh, early work and particularly with the participatory projects that I do. Um, uh, for example, in refugee camps in Lebanon, when we started in 2003 till 8 or even 11. Uh, so the aim was really to, there is some, yeah, kind of sure. uh, a practicality um, with lots of poetic, lots of um, yeah. um, reflections, reflective work. Sure. And with this is what I enjoy actually about my work with Reem and Fabric. That kind of... Um, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it's a, a delicate type of work that has all these kind of, all kind of layers. So we, we we surely wanted to instigate kind of discussions about the right of refugees, Palestinian refugees, in space, mm. uh, in Lebanon, about their position, about their representation, and about you know the immediate space they occupy occupy in in the camp. This the kind of. Um, uh, particularly childhood and children's spaces, the, the limitation of uh, um, of play spaces because of the, uh, the, the you know uh, physically the lack of space. There's no space. It's kind of a, a very kind of over dense um, uh, environment. Lack of infrastructure and also more kind of so about the political representation of refugees and political life, um, uh, their rights. You know, yeah. a right of um, to employment or the lack of rights, in a way. Uh, I, so, we wanted to we want surely to talk about all of these yeah. uh, things. 
I'd urge people to, to have a look on your website for, for more information on on these types of projects, on, on refugees and interventions in refugee camps, etc., etc. It's, it's fabulous, it's fascinating and so very important. But, Mohammed, I, I want to spend a bit of time talking about your book, if that's okay, please. Um, yeah. The book, Negotiating Conflict in Lebanon, Bordering Practices in a Divided Beirut. Uh, it was published by by I.B. Taurus, uh, and it's it's a fascinating book. But before we get into the substance, I must ask why why Beirut? Why is Beirut the subject of this of this this tome? Oh, because Beirut shaped me really. Okay. Although now I <laughs> I live in London, but I'm Lebanese. I was born in Beirut, and I was born in the area that the book actually uh, focuses on, the Mazra'a district right. in Beirut. So it's my childhood, you know, um, neighborhood, childhood kind of area. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, be- yeah, because I'm from Beirut and because how conflict actually uh, shaped who we are, uh, shaped our kind of the present, but also kind of the um, the future planning to our future, mm-hmm. and this is how the the project negotiating conflict actually started. Um, because I was, as I mentioned, it's good that we talked about fabric at the beginning, so it's kind of give a bit of background to to the book itself and the interest of the book. So the book uh, interest started in. Um, uh, 2005, which was a period after the assassination of Rafiq Hariri. Everyone talks about it. So, kind of, it's the resurfacing, the kind of the resurfacing of the conflict and the, the political sectarian conflict um, in, in Lebanon. And I was back then uh, at the end of my 20s. So, kind of, this, um, um, this kind of um, period came to really. Uh, change uh, all my personal plans in a way uh, because back then I was working with issue in, in refugee camps so these incidents came to to kind of uh, shift my focus more into the the sectarian and political life of Beirut that you know it affected me directly of course yeah somehow and um, so it became a, a really a personal project through which I'm trying to understand the situation I am part of. Um, and this is where I embarked on this really uh, practice-led and site-specific project um, as a form of understanding the, the new kind of ge- geopolitical yeah. map of Beirut, trying to understand what is political sectarian conflict, the change of map, really, of Beirut, and trying to be at the same time um, productive, active, through uh, employing art and research practices in situations uh, of of conflict. So this was really my my tactic of dealing with the new uh, round of conflict. Right. Mohammed, you, you mentioned that, that you grew up in this area. Can you just share some reflections looking back on your, your childhood in terms of, of bordering practices, in terms of spatial, um, spatial factors and forces? I mean, if you were to look back on your childhood with, with what you've 
what you've studied. Now, what are your your thoughts on spatial design and bordering practices? Was it was it visible? Were you conscious of it? Um, look, I, I really grew up um, during the civil war when Beirut was still divided. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the horizon of my everyday life was so small, actually narrow. If I now look back at it somehow like literally we we lived we lived in a divided uh, geographically divided space so the limits the literal the literal limit and this distances we cover um, during our uh, day is kind of uh, uh, limited so there's always kind of that border uh, somehow so this definitely part of growing up in in a divided uh, uh, place in society, city. Yeah. Um, that, but I didn't, you know, you do not reflect on that directly. You do not think of it. It takes time. Uh, you know, and the issue of bordering practices on my interest that came more in 2005, six, and seven. Uh, when I actually I started um, uh, work on working particularly on that project, it was I think I started writing it in two thousand eight or nine, and literally starting like more the the research in two thousand ten to fourteen. Right. And um, so um, I yeah I didn't reflect much back then on kind of the childhood trajectory, but surely issues of borders. Uh, uh, resonate and uh, took um, uh, uh, different shapes. What I became aware more is kind of that shift of from border to bordering as, as an activity, as something that could be also as a process, that's something that could be ephemeral, temporal. I wanted to uh, ask you about that actually. And not physical. Yeah, I, I wanted to pick, pick up on that idea of bordering. Yeah. It's, it's yes. a theme running through the book, the idea of bordering practices. And I think this is where your work maybe is, is distinct from other scholars of, of urban politics or urban spaces, because you focus on the, the many different ways in which bordering practices occur. But could you just shed a bit of light on, on what you understand and what you mean by a bordering practice and how it can how it can move beyond the the physical um, acts of bordering that that most would typically relate to when they hear the phrase bordering practices, please. Yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, back to this, like growing up in this environment, you you became more aware of the of the physicality of the border. Like there is, like you know, the physical barrier, and literally sometimes we're talking about that barrier that divide. Um, divided Beirut um, uh, west and east but more so like simple sometimes smaller scale borders like checkpoints as an example within um, uh, uh, city spaces Yeah. Uh, but then I became when I started um, my research um, uh, on, on this particular book I became really aware. So I was at the at the beginning. I was interested in these physical borders, the kind of the, the clashes that happened in Beirut that literally separated um, uh, communities within a uh, neighborhood. So we've seen like physical barriers, even for short period 
of time, so they didn't necessarily last for long. But there were uh, physical borders that were erected in the city in many shapes. Mm. Uh, whether checkpoints, whether uh, tires kind of uh, blocking uh, streets, um, uh, military tanks at a later stage, and, uh, you know, violent clashes. So there is surely physicality uh, um, to, the, to, the, to violence and to conflict um, uh, in the city. But the, the kind of the first discovery that I had while working with residents of Beirut, the participants that I kind of... Uh, uh, interviewed and worked with. Uh, what came very relevant and clear was this idea of bordering. That surely there are physical borders, but there's an impact to this physical port border into residents' spatial practices and how it kind of becomes something more uh, emotional through which, for example, uh, uh, residents start to segregate themselves from others uh, to prevent visiting certain areas uh, in the city uh, to kind of moving from uh, to live from one area to another area because it is has um, uh, for example uh, a homogeneous uh, uh, sectarian identity so because of the fear of mixing uh, with other uh, people from a different sect for example sure uh, and many many kind of practices so there is, you know, this is where you start to understand border as something not necessarily uh, physical there, uh, uh, but it kind of uh, manifests itself in the practices uh, of people that are uh, spatial, temporal, and uh, immaterial. So it takes different, really, uh, uh, different forms, uh, and surely uh, also emotional. Um, so I'm, I became really interested in unpacking these border practices, mapping them, understanding them, and at the same time trying to explore the border practices of research and art practices and in, the, in their kind of capacity of um, documenting these uh, border practices of political conflict and at the same time transforming them into another set of border practices that is... Um, more reflective, that is critical, that has the capacity to transform borders into something that is multiple, that is um, uh, shifting, in mm -hmm. a way. So proposing a new narrative about borders and about sectarianism. Sure. That's that's really interesting. I'm, I'm keen to pick up on the, the immaterial factors here. We've, we've spoken with, with others on the podcast who, who do do work on on urban spaces and division in in beirut who focused on the maybe the material the the artistic the creative etc etc which is absolutely fascinating and a really important feature of, of your work as well but i think this 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 creative dimension is key to what you're doing but also the the immaterial the focus on on sound in particular, really caught my attention and really piqued my interest. So can you just elaborate on that a little bit? What is it that, about sound that, that makes it serve as a, as a set of bordering practices? Um, yeah, there's a chapter on... So the book has um, four chapters. The first one is on administration, uh, then surveillance, the second sound, the third, and I end with displacement. And these um, um, uh, topics became, 
highlighted through uh, throughout their research project as kind of important examples of uh, boarding practice in Beirut currently. And sound is uh, one of the really kind of uh, interesting uh, uh, topics that I became uh, aware of because of its, the way it's used as part of the boarding practice of the conflict, particularly at the time, I'm, I'm here referring to sound in a very particular way, uh, at the time where um, um, when there was less, perhaps, uh, political tension. So, um, and to give examples, so I'm here referring to the way um, uh, music um, was used um, uh, in cars by um, uh, opposing political parties right. uh, to confront. So, so, like you know, they would drive in. Uh, in certain neighborhoods playing loud music that has a political, religious, or kind of sectarian nature to confront um, others in that particular uh, neighborhood. Or, for example, the sound of uh, fireworks after uh, a political speech by a certain leader, and how the kind of sound start to signify tension. You know, it's kind of signify the the kind of sectarian background or the political background of the people or the source behind it and how it is meant to the ear of others, in a way. Uh, so sound um, ephemeral quality and its ability to um, uh, to travel spaces that are uh, could be kind of uh, socially or physically divided. So it has this, this quality uh, that makes it very kind of relevant to the study of Boarding practices. So it's the ephemerality of sound and its ability to cross borders that uh, I became uh, interested in. Right. Um, this this idea of sound then it's kind of immateri- immateriality because um, um, you don't see it. Yeah, sure. Somehow. How does this this idea of sound and competing? Um, bordering practices pertaining to sound play out because right now i'm, I'm imagining um, a very simplistic set of competitions of of people in cars turning their volume up louder and louder to try and drown out the other but of course that's that's not a, a particularly viable um way of, of doing this surely so how do how does competition over bordering practices play out in a in a sort of sound sphere Um, so I became what what in, in in particular in the book I I work with taxi drivers. Uh, so it's a very kind of nuanced um, uh, approach to the sonic environment, or to read conflict from the sonic environment of the city and particular uh, and residents in a way. Um, so it's also about the sensitivity towards particular sounds, in a way. Uh, so the politicization of of everyday sonic material that I became interested in. For example, for example, the media uh, tunes that people uh, listen to in their cars, particularly here. Um, uh, cab or taxi drivers, because you know in Beirut it's a it's a, it's a shared. 
um, uh, ride, the, the, the taxi driver. So yeah. you, you, you kind of, um, uh, drivers use the, the, um, the sound um, material or um, uh, media channels simply to, you know, to listen to whatever channels they want to. But at the same time, it sometimes very much becomes confrontational to, to passengers if they are not... Um, uh, they don't belong to the kind of uh, the sample to the affiliation of that particular uh, driver. Um, so kind of it's a very subtle way of reading conflict through the sonic environment of residents. But I'm also became interested in the stories people share. And so it's not just really about this, the kind of the music or um, uh, the, the channels that they listen to radio channels, but also to how uh, stories they yeah. share, they tell in the space of, to each other, in the space of um, uh, uh, of the car become also a kind of um, uh, a, a sonic material somehow uh, to that could kind of uh, express one own identity or uh, you know, political beliefs, and at the same time, uh, a kind of a, a form of confrontation. So it's discursive, it's performative, it's a material... Yes, yes, and the quality also of narrative here yeah. uh, comes in, in relation to uh, uh, storytelling through, you know, through the voice, through words, uh, and kind of how these narratives... Uh, uh, people share and um, uh, and um, what's the word uh, pass on in the city and how these narratives become could be also become contagious in spreading uh, certain ideas certain fears uh, about conflict so the space of um, uh, not just of music but also about the stories the voice the stories that people circulate in the city about conflict mm. and their ability to construct and to affect the construction of borders and segregation in a way. Fantastic. And so this is how it's kind of, uh, I yeah. refer to, and I use uh, sound to talk about bordering practices. Mohammed, we've taken up a, a great deal of your time, but it's been absolutely fascinating. And if I may, I, I have one final question. And that's just to, to ask, in, in part of part of this, this work we've been doing with SEPAD, we've focused a lot on the ways in which people are seeking to contest uh, and reimagine their, their sect-based identity and to contest um, the, the dominance of sectarian identities within political, social, economic life. I wonder in your... In your work, is there a, a way that you've you've seen this play out? Are there are there processes of of what we've termed desectarianization that are visible, whereby people are contesting these bordering practices in a range of different um, manifestations? As you talk about, is there are there examples that you can point to to uh, to show that people aren't just um, the passive wearers and bearers of these identities, but are actually pushing back and and rejecting them in some ways. Sure, sure. I mean, the whole book talks about um, the kind of perhaps the many sides of boarding practice. So boarding practice not necessarily 
a negative thing. It mm-hmm. is uh, the way I argue in the book. It is part of resistance practice of resistance. Um, so there are kind of boarding practices that uh, aim for for change, aim to transform particular, um, uh, you know, kind of set. Uh, borders and, 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 and narratives that are um, uh, divisive in a way. Uh, so engaging in act of bordering is, a, is an engagement in the act of uh, debordering sure. in a way. Exactly, to yeah. Change that border. So this is what I also very much focus on in the book. Actually, it's about the residence practices of resistance as part of boarding practices in Beirut today and elsewhere in the world. And I also put forward the, uh, the, the critical capacity of art and research also in this uh, process of transforming borders, transforming narratives about borders and about uh, sectarianism. Um, and so if you think of, you know, um, the, the movement of uh, uh, civil society in Lebanon, the protest uh, currently uh, about uh, corruption. These are part of um, uh, boarding practice of resistance that aim for 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 change, aim to transform um, um, certain political issues that's been there. You know that kind of uh, for, for since forever in Lebanon, and they are. Um, uh, working against them, working uh, against this kind of um, uh, status quo and um, uh, and the political um, uh, deadlock somehow. Um, so, boarding practices include practices of resistance for sure, as well as they include practices. What I also, you know, I refer to in my work uh, to, to to Michel de Certeau, uh, uh, definition of uh, spatial practice as tactics and as strategies to kind of to conceptualize this idea of bordering practices yeah. as practices of tactics or as strategies in a way. Um, so yeah, all um, there's a, there's surely yeah um, a, a, a range of ways where people uh, resist and work against um, certain types of borders. Fantastic. Mohammed, thank you so much for this. It's been really interesting, really um, thought-provoking to, to talk to you about your work. And and I particularly enjoyed the book. I really do urge anyone to, to get in touch and to, to have a look at the... Uh, sorry, to, to read the book and to get in touch with you about, about the other work that you've been doing. Have a look, in, have a look on your website, um, which is mohammedhafeda.com, if I'm correct. Yes, yes, thank uh, you. Where you can see examples uh, of, of the work that Mohammed's been doing beyond the bordering practices in Lebanon and also including some of the spatial activities in, in refugee camps, which is so very important, absolutely fantastic, fabulous work, really, um, really an honor to have you on, Mohammed. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Simon. It was really a pleasure uh, talking to you. You took me back to, you know, uh, lots of memories and ready to reflect <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, on, my, on my experience. Thank you so much. For uh, I'm pleased to hear. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time.